Welcome to Thy Word. It's so good to have you all out here. I'm glad to see you're not playing hooky like many people do during the spring. It was that way last year as well. Um, I want uh, faithful people to come to Thy Word. This is where we learn the Word of God. Amen. And I hope that it's as good for you as it is for me. I love Thy Word. I really enjoy studying. I really enjoy teaching. And... Um, Praise the Lord. I'm just glad that you showed up. Otherwise, I'd be here all alone. And let's go ahead and begin with prayer. Lord, we love you. We thank you for thy word. We thank you for the people who have come. We thank you, O God, for your word. You are your word. Lord, you are the Dabar. You are the spoken word. And you are the essence of the person of God. And we appreciate you. We appreciate you uh, calling us and bringing us out of darkness into the marvelous light of your word. And we ask that you illuminate our understanding, our hearts that we might understand the scripture. Amen. And we are in Matthew part 18. And uh, we've come a long way. Praise the Lord. And when we were last together, we discussed the wineskins old and new and the old garment and new cloth and how these represented the old framework of Religion. You, you will notice that uh, while you're in this class, I am not a fan of religion. Amen. I'm not a fan of religion. It was religion that put Jesus on a cross. And that's a fact. And as you read your Bible, you too will begin to recognize that it's not religion like the world sees religion that we're striving after. It's trying to be in Christ and Christ in us. And uh, these, the old, uh, the, the wineskins, old and new, and the old garment of the new cloth were about the framework of religion. And we talked about the relationship between this teaching and to fasting and that we must humble ourselves, submit our, wells, uh, our wills to God to be new wineskins, able to receive and contain the new wine. And we talked about the woman with the issue of blood. And the part of the garment of Jesus that she touched and its significance in the scriptures. It was actually a fulfillment of Malachi chapter 4. The son of righteousness would arise with healing in his wings, which is kanaf, which is the same word used uh, for the Jewish males, who the hem of their garment, which would contain the seat seat or the tassels with the uh, ribbon of blue. And we'll remember... Uh, that Jesus was on his way to the house of Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, when the woman with the issue of blood pushed her way through the crowd and touched his seat seat, the corner, the hem of his garment. And Jairus' 12-year-old daughter lay dying. And now we continue the story in Matthew chapter 9, beginning at verse 23. When Jesus came into the ruler's house, and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd wailing. He said to them, make room, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when the crowd was put outside, he went in and took her by the hand. And the girl arose, and the report of this went out into all that land. Now Mark, as well as Luke, gives an account of this uh, event. And let, let's look at Mark chapter 5 beginning at verse 35, and Mark wrote, while he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? 
As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not be afraid, only believe. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. When he came in, he said to them, Why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when he had put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was lying. Then he took the child by the hand. So I want to stop there for a moment. He took her by the hand. He touched her. And we saw how Jesus touched the leper who was unclean according to the law. And the leper was made clean. And Jesus remained clean no matter what the law said. Uh, then the woman with the issue of blood, again unclean according to the law, touched the hem of his garment, but she was made clean, and Jesus remained clean regardless of what the law said. And now he touched the body of Jairus' daughter. And according to Numbers chapter 19, beginning at verse 11, anyone who touches a dead body is unclean. And just for reference, I'd like to read that scripture. We'll learn a little bit about this, and then by learning about this, we might learn a little bit more about just who Jesus is. He who touches the dead body of anyone shall be unclean seven days. Now, that goes beyond touching the woman with the issue of blood. That was until evening. This was seven days. And then there was a whole ritual that you had to go through. He shall purify himself with, with the water. Now, this isn't just any water, but this was the specially prepared water of purification. It is also called the holy water or the separated water. And we're going to talk a little bit about this. And uh, this was made with the ashes of the red heifer. And, and on the third day and on the seventh day, then he will be clean. So he had to purify himself with this water. But if he does not purify himself on the third day and on the seventh day, he will not be clean. Whoever touches the body of anyone who has died and does not purify himself defiles the tabernacle of the Lord. That person shall be cut off from Israel. He shall be unclean because the water of purification was not sprinkled on him. His uncleanness is still on him. And he touched a dead body. Now, that might not be a big deal to us, but you have to understand this was an Israel Jew living in Israel. This was the law. And according to the law, he should have been unclean. Verse 17 of this person, Numbers, gives us a little more information about the water of purification and how it was made. And it reads, And for an unclean person, they shall take some of the ashes of the heifer burnt for purification from sin. So this, these are the ashes of the burnt offering, the heifer. They would take that outside the camp. They would make take the ashes, and then the ashes would be put into a vessel of running water. It couldn't just be any water. It couldn't be water just from a pot, but it had to be mixed with running water. And the term here translated as running water in the Hebrew is maim chaim, maim 
Chaim, and it means living water. Have we heard that term before? Living water. Right, you should because it's flowing through us right now. Amen. Rivers of living water, right? Maim Chaim. The purification water was the living water poured on the burnt offering, ashes in a vessel. So it was water poured over the sacrifice. And this then became holy water or water of separation. That's actually what holiness means is separation. Sanctification is separation. We are set aside. We are made holy. And this water was what we would call holy water. John 7, uh, 37 to 38 records this. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, there is an obscure verse in Jeremiah chapter 17, and it's verse 13, and it reads like this. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you shall be ashamed. Those who depart from me shall be written in the earth. Now, this is the Lord talking. Those who depart from me shall be written in the earth because they have forsaken the Lord. By the way, that word Lord is yud heh vau It is Yehovah. They've forsaken Yehovah, the fountain of living waters. So Yehovah is the fountain of living waters. Can somebody say that with me? Yehovah is the fountain of living waters. Now here, he's called the fountain of living waters. And John, I, I, would, like, uh, I would like to turn to John chapter 8, beginning at verse 1. And I believe that here, in John chapter 8, Jesus partially fulfilled, fulfilled this scripture uh, uh, here in Jeremiah. He fulfilled this scripture partially. And I like to say partially because I don't believe that Jesus has really fulfilled any of the scriptures. Not 100%. Even Pesach, or the Passover, is still waiting for one final part of the Passover, which we are going to share with the Lord when we come into the kingdom. And that is the last cup of wine. It is the, it, 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 we have cup, the cup, drank the cup of redemption, but we will drink the final cup of the Passover with the Lord. And then that Passover will be fully, fully fulfilled. But let me read this. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now, can somebody tell me very quickly where Jesus left from when he left the earth? The Mount of Olives. And two men in white apparel stood by and they, they looked steadfast. They said, you men of Judea, why stand you gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as he has gone into heaven. Jesus is coming back and when he comes back he will set his foot on the Mount of Olives. And by the way, the Bible calls, says the God of Israel will. So that tells us who's, who, who exactly is coming. Jesus is the God of Israel, and he will set his foot on the Mount of Olives. Now, early in the morning, he came again into the temple. So he went to the Mount of Olives. He came down into the temple. And all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Where's the man? Right. Yeah, right. I mean, she wasn't just accused, she was caught in the very act. Where's the man? Right. 
Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. That's religion. <laughs> but Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Now didn't we just read Jeremiah about something about writing them in the earth who turn away from who? The fountain of living water. Didn't we just read that? Now, now let's look what just happened here. Uh, he raised himself up again and he said, He is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. What do you think he's writing? Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last. They left ashamed. That's how they left. They left because of they were convicted in their conscience. They were ashamed. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but that woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. A beautiful story just on its face. And it's also a prophecy. It's a prophecy. Remember that Jesus fulfilled, he filled, he is the basis for the fivefold ministry of the church, including the prophet. And we will see that in the Old Testament, the prophets lived out the prophecy. Abraham lived out the prophecy by taking Isaiah, or, or, uh, sorry, Isaac to, to Mount Moriah. That was the prophecy of what? Calvary, where he gave his only son. See, and Hosea lived out a prophecy by taking Gomer, a, a woman of harlotry, to be his wife to show how Israel was an adulterous woman to the Lord. You see, they lived out this prophecy. Can I tell you that Jesus Christ was not only showing compassion to an adulterous woman, but he was prophesying with his actions. And let me show you how. First of all, he was partially fulfilling Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 13. And uh, there are certain th things here I want you to notice. Number one is according to John chapter 7, this event occurred during the Feast of Tabernacles. Now that's very important. Number two is Jesus, as we mentioned, first went to the Mount of Olives. Now when the Bible mentions something, you have to stop and ask why. Why would it mention that he went to the Mount of Olives? It could have left that out. Would have been a perfectly good story on its own if they didn't mention that first he went up to the Mount of Olives. But he did. So they had just had the, the, the Feast of Tabernacles. He had just cried out, If any man thirsts, let him come unto me. Let him drink of the living water. I'll give him of the living water. Okay. And then he goes up to the Mount of Olives. And then from the Mount of Olives... He went to the temple. Now, if you know how Israel is set up, you've got the Mount of Olives on the east side of Jerusalem. That's where Jesus went up into heaven. That is where he's coming back from heaven. He's going to set his foot on that Mount of Olives. To go to the temple, he had to go through the eastern gate. 
of Jerusalem. Now when Jesus returns, can, all you Bible scholars, can you tell me what gate he's going to enter? He's coming through the eastern gate, isn't he? Right, so he does this. And then he encountered the adulterous woman brought to him by the Pharisees who had surrounded her and were accusing her and demanding that she die. That's what they were doing. And they were testing him. Now, this is interesting because he was in the temple. And I need you to pay very careful attention to this. Don't, don't miss this, because if you miss this, you'll miss everything that's being said here. She was accused of adultery. And she was in the temple with the fountain of living water. This is why this is important. In Numbers chapter 5, we find what is called the jealousy ritual. And in this ritual, and my wife hates this every time I talk about it, I, I have to do a whole lot of explaining. But in this is just the, the law of Moses. Aren't you glad you're not under the law? I mean, I'm so glad. Hallelujah. And if a, if a man is jealous of his wife and believes she committed adultery, he was to bring her to the temple or tabernacle. Men, please don't do that. We don't have that ritual today. The pastor is not going to see you at his office, and he's not going to do this ritual for you. It's not going to happen. The priest was to take the holy water, what we talked about, the water of separation. And this was the water of purification that was made with the living water. Maim, chaim, the living water, and the ashes of the red heifer, the sacrifice. Then he was to take the dust of the temple or tabernacle and put it in the water. There was an oath the woman was to take, and this included a curse. She was then to drink the water, and if she was guilty, she was cursed. If she was not guilty, then she was absolved from her husband's jealousy. Now, Jesus is the fountain of living water. He's in the temple. There's an adulterous woman brought to him. Do you see that this is the jealousy ritual starting? This is it. And by the way, this is in the book of Revelation. We'll get to it in the book of Revelation. There's a large jealousy ritual in the book of Revelation. But we'll get into that. So this is not complete. This, this pattern continues. Um, now, during the Feast of Tabernacles, there was a libation ceremony. And this is where the running or living water, the Maim Chaim, was brought up. And the priest on duty poured out the contents of two silver bowls. And one held, held this living water and the other held wine. And on the last day, the great day of the feast, the priest circled the altar, altar seven times and then poured out the living water and the wine. This was the living water ceremony. It was not an accident that Jesus cried out and said, if you're thirsty, come to me and I will give you living water. And by the way, he was calling himself God because this was a thanks to the creator. It was a creator, creator who gave the water and the wine. And now he stands up and says, I will give you the living water. He is, uh, he is calling himself the creator. And it was on the last or great day of the feast that Jesus stood out and cried. I'll give you living water. And out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. 
So Jesus, the living water, stood before the adulterer, adulteress and her accusers. And what did he do? Okay, so remember the jealousy ritual. The living water, the holy water. The dust of the temple. And then there was the curse. She had to write a curse. The curse had, it had to be put on paper and then that was scraped off into the, into the living water. You can read that. It's in Numbers chapter 5. And, but I'm not going to get too much into it tonight. But this is the jealousy ritual. And they continued to oppress him. He said, he who is without sin, or what does he do? He begins to write on the ground in the dust of the temple with his finger. So we have the dust of the temple. We have the living water. We have the adulterous woman. And he said, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And he wrote in the dust of the temple again. And one by one, her accusers turned away from him and departed from him. And again, I'd like to read Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 13. And I wish you could read this in the Hebrew with me because it really makes a little more sense. But I'll read it. I'll have to read it in English because we don't read Hebrew. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you shall be ashamed. These men left ashamed. Those who depart from me, and the Bible says they turned and they departed from him, and they were ashamed, shall be written in the earth because they have forsaken the Lord, Jehovah. Jehovah. They departed from Jehovah, the fountain. Who's Jesus? The God of Israel is the one coming and setting his foot on the Mount of Olives. And the Bible says that they will depart from me. The, and they'll forsaken Jehovah, the fountain of living waters. Jesus is the living water. And he wrote them, I believe... And this is just my view, that he knelt down and he began writing their names. He wrote their names. He wrote them into the earth, into the dust of the earth. And I believe he wrote the names of her accusers in the earth, the dust of the temple, and they departed from him. So that is the jealousy ritual, right? And we need to focus on Matthew, but let me just say this. The Feast of Tabernacles is symbolic for man dwelling with God and God dwelling with man. I don't have a whole lot of time, but I think I should say a little more about this. What it represented was when the time of the children of Israel wandered in the desert for 40 years living in tents. And God, the, with the Ark of the Covenant, dwelt in a tent. And they surrounded the tent of God. So it was God, the presence of God, dwelling in a tent of flesh, tabernacled with man. They were dwelling in tents. He was dwelling in tents. And so what they do is for a week, they set up what they call Sukkots. And it's the Feast of Sukkots, which means tabernacles. And they set these up outside and they live for one week in these tabernacles to commemorate this time. And this is symbolic for man dwelling with God and God dwelling with man. Now, can I ask you real quick, in John chapter 1, the Bible says 
that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word in the Greek is tabernacled with us. Do you see? And I'm not going to prove this tonight. We'll have to prove it later. Jesus was born during the Feast of Tabernacles. Can I just say that? And then I'll prove it to you later because we will take the next 30 minutes if I do. He was born during this time. He was tabernacled during this time. And he came and dwelt with man. And when Jesus comes again, he will set his foot on the seat on the Mount of Olives. He will enter the, through the eastern gate. And he will deliver Israel, who has been called an adulterous woman, all throughout the Old Testament. She's the adulterous woman, and her enemies will surround her, seeking her death and testing her God. Right? Does that sound familiar? Because that's what the Pharisees were doing with this woman. And he will deliver her from her enemies. And, they sh and the Bible says about Israel in Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 10, that they shall look up on me. Jehovah said this, whom they have pierced. They're going to look upon him. They're going to see him. They're going to weep for him. Jesus is the fountain of living water. So you see that this was a prophecy. But really I said all this because we're in Matthew. And that is that Jesus is the living water. He is the one who makes us clean. You cannot make him unclean. He makes us clean. He's not just clean. He's far beyond clean. And here in our study of Jairus' daughter, Jesus touched a dead body. And we just read, under normal circumstances, when a person touched a dead body, three things were true. Number one, that person was made unclean. He would be unclean for seven days. And he must have the water of purification sprinkled upon him on the third day and the seventh day. And if he didn't, he'd be cut off from his people. It was a serious thing. Jesus touched a dead body. Number two, the body of that person remained unclean. It didn't become clean. It remained unclean. And number three, the body remained dead. There was no ritual in the law for what to do when somebody came back to life. Because it didn't happen. Right? Jesus is not just clean. He's so far beyond clean. He is holy. He is himself holy. And he is more than holy. He is holy, holy, holy. And we will remember that Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up in the temple. We need to play this, Sister Jelani, or I'll just keep going on. You want to play that? Between you and her, it's quite the big day of faith. It's just up ahead. Mm. Do you hear that? No. What is this? Jairus, while you were gone. No. Why do I hear mourners and flutes? I said not to do that. She Your was daughter sick. daughter passed away. We had to make arrangements quickly. No, no, I went to find the teacher. He was going to heal her. 
I know who you are. Let's not trouble him anymore. Michal is with Nelly's body. No! No! I was kidding, Jesus! I went as fast as I could. Do not be afraid. Only believe. She will be well. Jairus. Jairus! Let's go in. Please stay here. We will... She will be well. All of you, stop it! I said stop. What are you doing? There's a girl. She's dead. Go away. For she isn't dead, but sleeping. <laughs> What is all this laughing? He said, she's only asleep. What a cruel thing to say. Do you know who you're talking to? If you were a member of the family, I would invite you in to see just how dead she is. What are you, a necromancer? Shame on you for saying such a ridiculous thing. Everyone out. You heard him. Boys, take everyone outside. Right. We were paid to play. Ah. You listen to me right now. Come, let's give them a moment. Michal. Where were you? I was finding this mess. She is dead and you were gone. Why would you just leave us like this? Trust me. Please trust me and trust him. What? For what? Please. 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 I know. I know. No. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> 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 
Everyone in this room, please listen to me carefully. Simon, James, John, Jairus, Michal, and Nili. None of you are to say a word about this to anyone under any circumstances. Do I make myself clear? No one. Not even to the others. Yes, Rabbi. Yes, Rabbi. Yes, Rabbi. It is not yet time for the commotion that will result. None of you need the attention. Not all of it will be good. Whatever you command, we shall do. Nearly. You must be hungry. <laughs> How can I thank you? I don't understand what you did, but... You're welcome. Let's just get Neely something to eat first. Oh, wait. <laughs> Neely, come on. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. There are no other words. Thank you. Thank you for your faith. I pray that more in the synagogue will share it. Holy, holy, holy. We'll remember that Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up in the temple. I want to read this very quickly. Isaiah chapter 6. Beginning at verse 1, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw Jehovah, Yehovah. I don't like to say Jehovah, you know, I'll say Yehovah. And the truth is we don't know the pronunciation because they never uttered the word. So we lost the sound of the word. It could be Yehovah, it could be Yahweh. Uh, it certainly cannot be Jehovah. You can tell that to the Jehovah's Witnesses. There's no J sound in Hebrew, so can't be that. But in the, key, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. And the train, this is the hem of his garment, of his robe filled the temple. And, she, and, and remember the, the woman with the issue of blood. She said to herself, if I can but touch the hem of his garment. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings with two he covered his face with two he covered his feet and with two he flew and one cried to another and said holy 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 lord of hosts kadosh 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 Yehovah Savuot. the whole earth is full of his glory and the post of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out and the house was filled with smoke so i said woe is me for i am undone because i am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. The Lord is not just clean, and he's not just holy. He is what makes the holy thing holy. Right. His presence in the temple is what made the temple holy. And if you do not understand yet that the one 
uh, that Isaiah saw in the temple is and was the Lord Jesus Christ, then look with me what John said about him. And this is in John chapter 12, verse 41, speaking of the Lord Jesus, John wrote, These things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke of him. Isaiah saw the Lord Jesus Christ in his glory when? In Isaiah chapter 6. And the seraphim were crying, Holy, holy, holy. And the hem of his garment filled the temple. Isn't that beautiful? Well, praise God. So let's continue. Jesus touched her and said to her, Talita kumi. Now we all know the, the uh, sister Talitha Rivera here has that name. Talitha, Talitha is the name that he used. Talitha. And here they translated it uh, as little lamb. And some people think that is a translation. It is also a word that means fresh. But let me share something with you that I just realized yesterday while we're over here worshiping God in church. And that is that the prayer garment, the garment that she touched was called the talit. And so I decided let's look this up and let's compare talita to this word talit, which is the prayer shawl with the seat seats that she touched. It is spelled exactly the same, just with a little aleph at the end. You could say it's a little talit. Now, I don't know what that means. And I know that there is something more to this story. I know that there is something more, that the Lord put these two stories together for a reason. You've got a woman with an issue of blood 12 years. You've got a child who's 12 years old. This is not by accident. And she touched his talit. And now he says to her, Talita, it's a very, it's not by accident. Now, I, maybe next year or next time we come through the book of Matthew, I'll have had a revelation. If you have the revelation, please come to me. I will pay you for it. I mean, I want to know what it is. Hallelujah. But let's move on. Little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age. And they were overcome with great amazement. But he commanded them strictly that no one should know it and that something should be given her to eat. And we see here the gifts of the Spirit in operation. These are, we see the gift of faith and speaking to the situation, commanding that which is dead to rise again, which resulted in the working of miracles. Let's continue. We have a short amount of time. Matthew 9:27 through 31. When Jesus departed from there, two blind men followed him, crying out and saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. We have here another title of Jesus, the Son of David. And we already had the Son of Man, now we have the Son of David. And this is an important title because David was the great king of Israel. He was God's chosen, anointed king. And God had made him... A promise in 2 Samuel chapter 7. David had looked around at his palace and he felt gratitude to the God who raised him up from being a lowly shepherd and sat him up on the throne of Israel to be king of Israel. And he spoke to Nathan the prophet and expressed that he did not want the ark of God. 
to dwell in a tent, the tabernacle, while he himself was living in a fine house. So he wanted to build God a house. He wanted to build God a temple. And at first Nathan told him to do what was in his heart, but then God intervened. And he, Nathan was sent back to David, who told David that David would not build God a house, but God would instead build a house out of David. I'm going to build you a house. You, David, your genealogy is going to become my house. And we read this in 2 Samuel 7. 11 through 16 and this is the promise that God gave to David also the Lord tells you that he will make you a house when your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever has anyone seen the throne of Solomon lately how's he doing anybody been over there said hi to Solomon also, oh, maybe this isn't talking about him. Okay, because Solomon's long dead. And this one would establish his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son if he commits iniquity. Now, this is talking about Solomon. See, God's doing a two thing. He's doing a little double thing here. We call it a little double entendre, right? He's talking about one thing, but he's actually talking about another thing. He's talking about something that's happening in the now and then something that's going to happen in the future. This is what God does many, many times over. Yeah, If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. Now there are two things happening here in this verse. God is speaking of two men, two sons of David. One is Solomon and the other is Jesus or Yeshua and Solomon in Hebrew is Shlomo or uh, it, it means peace it's like what we talked about last time Shalom Leshelem Mishlom these this is a word that means peace Solomon is the one the prince of peace who would build the physical temple to contain the Ark of the Covenant where the presence of God would dwell. So he is a type, he's a pattern of the coming son of David whose kingdom would never end and whose reign would never end. Solomon's reign ended. So there must be somebody else who's going to sit on the throne of David and rule over the house of David. And can I tell you that he is also the Prince of Peace. Right? Jesus was the other son of David, spoken about in Scripture. He was the son of David who God would establish over the house of David and who would sit up on the throne of David, ruling an eternal kingdom, and God would be his father. He would be the son of God. So like the title of the son of man, the son of David is a title of the awaited Messiah, the one who would be of the lineage, the house of David, and who would rule forever on the throne of David. So once again, we see how the entire Old Testament testifies of him. 
Doesn't it? He's everywhere. Even in this story between God and David. And we see Jesus speaking of himself in Revelation chapter 22 and verse 16. He says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David. I am the son of David. I am the root of David. I am the bright and morning star. So he is the root of David and the offspring of David, which means he is the beginning of the plant, the foundation of the house. He is uh, not only David's son, but he is the one who came to David and is his root, his foundation. In short, I'm going to say it plain. He is the God who made David the promise that he would build him a house and David's son would sit forever on his throne. That's right. He's the root. He's the one who is the foundation of David. And he's the offspring of David. And Jesus had a discussion about this in Matthew chapter 22, verse 41 through 46. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, What do you think about the Christ, the Messiah? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. So they knew. They knew that the son of David is the Christ. He said to them, How then does David in the Spirit call him Lord? saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word. Not from that day on did anyone dare question him anymore. So Jesus was quoting Psalm 110, which is a messianic psalm written by David. And the Spirit moved through David to write this psalm. Whose spirit do you think it was who wrote it? The spirit of Christ, the Bible says, did signify. Whenever I, I, and this is what I believe, whenever you see anything that's a messianic psalm or a messianic prophecy, it was written by Jesus himself. And you can say it all was, Right? But that's what the Bible says. It literally says the Spirit of Christ. By the way, the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Yeshua, Jesus, twice in the New Testament. That's what spirit we're talking about here. Jesus is the Holy Spirit. Is his spirit. So the Son of David is his Son and also his Lord. Jesus is the Son of Man, the Son of David, a human being, and he is also the God whose glory filled the temple in Isaiah 6. He is David's son and David's Lord, the root and the offspring of David. And these blind men knew in their hearts who he was. Many who had sight did not see it, but they saw it and they cried out, Son of David! And the woman with the issue of blood, she had heard that scripture in Malachi chapter 4, the son of righteousness would arise with healing in the border of his garments, his wings, his kanaf. She knew who he was and they knew who he was and they believed. 
And when he had come into the house, the blind men came to him. And Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, let it be to you. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, saying, See that no one knows it. But when they had departed, they spread the news about him in all the country. Can I take a couple more minutes? Let's continue then to Matthew 9, 32 to 34. As they went out, behold, they brought to him a man, mute and demon-possessed. And when the demon was cast out, the mute spoke, and the multitudes marveled, saying, It was never seen like this in Israel. But the Pharisee said, by the way, did you notice in that film who was trying to keep him from his miracle? It's always the religious people, isn't it? You can't do that. It's against the rules. And now here they are again. They could have rejoiced that this man could speak. But they couldn't because of their hatred toward him and their love of the world the way it was set up in their favor. But the Pharisee said he cast out demons by the ruler of the demons. This man was mute. Now, not all muteness is caused by demonic roots, but some muteness is. And Jesus discerned what the root cause of the muteness was. That is, the discerning of spirits. There it is. We see the Lord. And we talked about him being a prophet, one of the fivefold ministries. And now we're talking about one of the gifts of the spirit, the discerning of spirits. So... In this case, the muteness was caused by a demon. When he cast it out, the dumb man spoke. So let's look quickly at the disparate responses to the ministry of the Lord Jesus. The multitudes, the regular people marveled. The religious elites judged and condemned. The professional religious, the ones who were trained in theology and educated in religious schools, rejected him, judged him, condemned him, and said he was in league with the ruler of demons. And when you do what Jesus did, and when you teach what Jesus taught, you can expect the same kind of treatment from the same types of people and groups. They did it to him, and they will do it to you. What they did to the master, they will do to his disciples. I remember one time, and I'm going to close now. Somebody say amen. And I might have told this. I don't know. I, my wife says I tell the same stories over again. But I'll tell this story again. When I was on the USS Peleliu, I began a Bible study, or I should say the Bible study began me. I was just reading my Bible. And I got invited down to the chapel. And I refused to go. I said, I'm good. I'm just going to read my Bible. And they came up. They looked really depressed. Long story short, they said, let's have our own Bible study. You're in charge. So now I'm a Bible study leader, and I didn't even ask to be. Very long story. However, 40 people were filled with the Holy Ghost. Multitudes of people were rebaptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in five months. God did a miraculous thing. And the chaplain who was a big shot. I was an E3, he was an O3. Right? He was a big shot. He was educated. He had the theology degree. He had all of this. He hated me. And we took over his chapel. We had the chapel full. It was packed out every Sunday. 
So he went to the to the uh, commanding officer, tried to have a shutdown, and the commanding officer, you know, God bless him, said, no, we're not shutting him down. They have a right to their religion. And so he sent a young man to spy for on me. Some man that he had baptized, he baptized three people, he took this, you know how the Bible says about the Pharisees, that you make disciples worse than yourselves. Well, this man had a disciple. Guy had never known anything about the Lord before. He got baptized and he proceeds to make him worse than himself. He sends him up to spy on me for the sole purpose of trying to take my words and use them against me just like they did to the Lord. So the man's sitting there taking notes of everything I'm saying so he can go and tell his boss and the boss can go to the, to the commanding officer and shut me down. But that's not what happened. We were all done. And I had a little Bible study, and I was talking a little bit about the book of Acts, and I was talking a little bit about Acts 2.38. Not a whole lot, but I was talking a little bit about it. And I remember normally what we did was we went downstairs and we got some what we call bug juice and coffee. And so I'm talking to the guys who were all around me. People were asking me questions because I didn't require it to be in writing at the time. And I felt behind me the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit fell. And I turned around... And this young man was on his knees, weeping and crying and speaking in another language he had never learned as God filled him with the Holy Spirit. Nobody laid hands on him. Nobody was praying with him. He was just there. And all of a sudden, whoo! So the story he got to go and tell the chaplain was a little bit different. But can I tell you, if they did it to Jesus, they'll do it to you. Lord, we love you. We thank you for thy word, and we thank you for those who have come. I ask you to bless them as they come, to bless them in every part and aspect of their lives. And I ask you to doubly bless them as they remain for prayer, for the house of prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow. Discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. I